Welcome to year three of This is Design School. After a little break, we are back for more interviews from inspiring perspectives from around the Pacific Northwest. Want to join in on conversation? Check us out on Twitter at TIDS Podcast. Visit our website at thisisdesign.school and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. And now, on with the show. Hit it, JP. This is Design School. Gabriel Joy Kirkendall, thank you so much for joining us here on This is Design School. We're really excited to have you today. I'm really excited to be here. And so having you here, one of the things that I am uh, fascinated to hear about is how you got to be where you are today. Because you don't have exactly the, the straight route into a design career. Yes. So maybe give us a little highlight of how did you get to where you are here? Sure. Um, you're right. I came to it very untraditionally. Uh, I went to PLU between 2005 and 2009, um, and I actually studied French and political science. So not a typical degree for somebody who ends up being in the design profession. I worked for World Vision at the end of my um, time at PLU. I was in their malaria program and I was actually all applied and ready to go to the London School of Economics for public health for grad school. Oh, wow. Um, and then unfortunately I got sick two months after graduating at PLU. I was diagnosed with cancer. So that understandably put a lot of my grad school plans on hold. Uh, it ended up being about two and a half years worth of, of treatments and surgeries that I went through. Um, so after one of my surgeries, uh, I was on bed rest and getting really tired of the same four walls. It had been about a month. I was ready to crawl out the window on my hands and knees. <laughs> and um, my husband saw how crazy I was getting. Uh, so he remembered that I always had loved art growing up. So he just went down to our local art store and he bought everything he could possibly think of and came home and dumped it on the bed and said, here, please don't go crazy. <laughs> so it all really started with a, a bid to keep myself sane at that point. Just had really fun with it though and showed my work to family and friends and people in the community and started getting commission requests. Uh, I did a bunch of commissions and paintings and murals and things for people around in the Tacoma and Puyallup community and that was just really fun. It was a fun side hustle for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was going to be a serious career but somebody encouraged me to put my work on Etsy and I did and I started getting sales and that was exciting so I did Etsy for a couple years uh, and my big break really came when was November 2013. I got this email in my inbox and it said it was from a publisher, an editor at, a, at a Walter Foster Publishing down in California. I did a happy dance and called my husband and said, you're not going to believe what email I just got. Um, she had started a project on wanting to do the first book on hand lettering. They've been in the business 94 years now, Walter Foster. So they've done a lot of art books over the time, but they'd never done one on hand lettering, which was exciting. And she had gone through Etsy searching for artists that she liked to see if they'd be interested in the project. And she had found my work, which is when she contacted me. And uh, that was how I got my first book contract. <laughs> so I did my first book in 2014 is when it was published September, 2014. And then 
did so well at that book. The book uh, was, they were testing out the waters as far as hand lettering go, and they hadn't done it before. So they did a limited print run, about 5,000 copies at the beginning, and it went crazy. And they sold out um, a week into the launch. And so they had to order more copies. And it actually got a little crazy because that was the same time as the um, Longshoreman strike. And so we ordered copies, and for about a month, the copies of the books were sitting on the pier in, in Southern California. You then couldn't get it unloaded. So oh, I yeah. had all of these people contacting me. I want your book. I can't find your mm -hmm. book. And it became a runaway bestseller. And it still is today. It's one of Amazon's top bestsellers in hand lettering. The title of that was Creative Lettering and Beyond. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> what was the process of writing the book? And how long did that take? I mean, because essentially you were approached almost like, you know, out of the blue from an editor. Like, what's it like having somebody come to you and be like, hey, you want to do a book? <laughs> like, had you thought about doing a book before? Or, you know? I, I mean, I grew up loving books and I always thought in the back of my mind that I'd love to publish a book. I didn't think it was going to be an art. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be honest with that. It was very crazy and kind of surreal and I think different than what most people's experiences with publishing is because the majority experience is you come up with an idea, you do all the drafting, you write down at least 75% of the book and then you send it to a publisher to see if they're interested in publishing it. But in my experience, art publishing is very different. They don't want you to create the content ahead of time. They just want the submission ideas, um, at least Walter Foster does, and then they go through the submission ideas and then once you're through the entire thing and they get your submissions and they plan, we plan what's going to be in the book, then they sign the contract. So does this mean that you have a third one coming out anytime soon? So I've already published my third. So oh. this last year was in, <laughs> it's okay. In October, um, I published my third book, The Joy of Lettering. And that's the one that I co-wrote with Jacqueline Escalera. Oh, that's right. Okay, so that's the one that I know you for. Yes. I know you have a second one. Okay, oh my. Yes, I have three. I have three what? currently. Yeah, so I'm right now in the process of still promoting my third book. Okay. It's doing really great. They're actually re-releasing a new version in a couple months where it actually comes with a workbook and pens and everything as a set, which oh, is exciting. Awesome. Um, it's been published in six languages. Uh Mandarin Chinese is the one that surprised me because it's character based and mm -hmm. I'm not really so it was uh, it was all my hand lettering in English hmm. with Mandarin text but hey whatever floats your boat right so <laughs> that's been fun um, I currently have a few submissions in for new books to my publisher but I'm not going to be doing anything about that for about the next six months uh, just because I want to continue promoting mm -hmm. my current book well I was I was curious about um like the mental transition from like being on one track, you know, you're kind of had a setup and it seemed like you had a very strong direction of what you were going to do. And then obviously life happens and, and, and it's a big, I mean, there's a lot of life change happening, yes. but like there's a, a, a big change in, um, you know, direction, you know, especially at such a pivotal point. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Um, and, you know, you, whenever you have a really big change in your life that's unexpected, you do go through a little bit of the grieving process mm -hmm. over that. Um, just and trying to find what I like to call a new normal. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't expect that your life is going to be exactly how you had it before, but you can choose to make the most of what you have. Um, for me, it was actually, I, I mean, the creative aspect of design wasn't a hard transition for me. 
in French and political science, you have to use a lot more creativity than I think people will give them credit for. You really have to be able to think multidimensionally um, and see things from all different aspects to, to be able to be successful, especially if you're translating. You have to be really creative and think on your feet and, and be able to change how you're saying something at the drop of a hat. So as far as that goes, you know, I've been able to put that to good use in design, um, being able to see different parts of a project. And I think I might have an easier time than some of the artists I talk to starting over and throwing things out if it's not working. I think I don't get as emotionally attached to something if, if it doesn't feel right to me. Uh, I found one of your favorite quotes online that was, um, it's not a competition, I hope we all make it. Yes. Why is that your favorite quote? I think it's one of my, yeah, it's one of my favorite quotes because I think we gain so much more and get farther working together than we do separately. And um, I've met a lot of people, especially when I was studying politics, that it was a competition. It was. Um, And while the drive to succeed is something that is excellent to have, the drive to succeed at somebody else's expense can be harmful because you you cheat yourself out of opportunities that you otherwise would have. You know, most of the opportunities I've gotten over the years are ones that I've gotten because I've made friends with people and because I've networked and done collaborations. And it's, you know, the a rising tide lifts all all boats. And that, you know, I don't have to I think one of the most important things is as a creative person to learn not to feel threatened by somebody else's success. That just because somebody else has done something great doesn't mean that you can't. And instead of seeing it as, oh gosh, that person just landed this awesome gig and I really wish I was doing that and I shouldn't share my secrets with them because, you know, I want the gig next time. Think, well, this is a great opportunity to learn. Let me pick her brain. How did she get that gig? How did she, you know, get in this magazine or that magazine? Um, and a lot of the opportunities I've had are because I've asked those questions and because people have been kind enough to me to answer honestly and not and not hold it back for me because they're worried I'm going to take something from them and I just I love that because if you get an opportunity and you share it I also think it's more fun that way I mean like with Jacqueline when I asked her to do the book with me I mean I could have done that book on my own but it was so much more fun to do it with someone and have somebody to bounce ideas off of and I don't think you can ever have too much creativity do you have people coming to you now that are either learning it from uh, as a hobby or as something that they want to get into as a career or that they are students wanting to do this as part of their capstone project, senior project, career path? I do. Yeah. And that's one of the most exciting things for me is being able to interact with those people. I mean, I have a lot of people online that um, have contacted me. I'll have almost daily Instagram conversations. You know, I've gotten questions from what software do you use to digitize to I'm looking to publish a book and I want to know what format I should format where I work in before I send it to a publisher. You know, those, those make me excited. It's really fun. I think because I was non-traditionally self-educated, I place a high value on sharing that information because, you know, really my community and the networking I made is what was my education. And so being able to pass that. 
we could only all be so lucky, right? Yes. Yeah. I think that's what we would all love to have. And I, I can't say it's pro- it's probably not that realistic for, you know, most people. And when I worked at World Vision, I loved what I did. I felt very fulfilled. But of course, there were things that I liked doing more than others. Um, but yeah, I do feel I do feel very blessed to have this career opportunity that really allows me to do something that genuinely really does make me happy. And, you know, going back to how my degrees here at PLU helped or hindered as far as transitioning into design, I think PLU specifically really helped because despite the fact that I was a political science and French major, they really stressed vocation. And they really stressed having a greater purpose, not just within your degree, but as a community and how you can interact with your community. And that has had a huge impact on me and how I've developed my career after that. And believing that it was possible to get where I am through networking, through self-exploration. Yeah, that's been a huge legacy for me. I think that's even more important than the degrees I got was was that spirit and that lesson from PLU. Any questions? Yeah, you want some questions. Sure, go ahead. Okay. You take it. How do you, both as design professionals that have gone through school, feel about people like me coming into the design without having a BFA and things like that and um, doing the sort of projects that I've done? Either one. Uh, Well, I mean, I can speak to that. I think um, there is... For me, there's um, like art. Art and design is a continuum, and um, there's you know on one side you have fine art, and then on the other side you have very you know applied design, um, and there there's a large continuum on that, and have different levels of education, like formal education, on all aspects of that spectrum, and so you know it's a lot of what you do and in how you do it more so than what your background is. But with that being said, you know, uh, as somebody who has had a lot of, you know, education is something that I, I value and in myself and, you know, I really appreciate and, um, going through that experience hit, you know, it's changed my perspective and, you know, I, 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 I believe that there are certain things that I, I couldn't have learned without that formal education but that's me and you know I understand that right like every experience is a little different Mm -hmm. I'm just curious because I've had you know unfortunately in the dark corners of the internet I have seen some conversations where people who have formal degrees or say you know oh well only the people with formal degrees should be designing I do know a few things at least I don't use comic sans but <laughs> I can't claim to know everything but I've definitely come across a few people that um, especially with my untraditional success at getting published mm-hmm. um, some some people have had a hard time with that because I don't have a traditional mm-hmm. education I mean my view of formal education is is um, depending on what you want to do it can be extremely uh, liberating and extremely great, but it can also be extremely debilitating, <laughs> if sure. that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really hard, because um, especially design as a discipline is extremely um, extremely regimented, and especially if you 
you know, have a, I mean, a lot of essentially everywhere I've been educated in design has had a very strong Swiss, uh, Swiss lineage in design education, sure. which in, um, I think I, in, in grad school, I really came about the idea or the realization of how oppressive that is <laughs> in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's certain things that, um, it, it can limit you in a way, or, you know, you're, so narrow in a way that um, that can be really hard to break out of mm-hmm. um, and so that can be really beneficial in some ways and really limiting in some ways and so you know had you studied design formally in undergrad or, or whatever you know would you have ever gotten that book deal I might mm-hmm. not have yeah you know who knows <laughs> uh, right yeah. I mean if you were if you're going in and doing that every day in an office like you know would you have the same drive to do those sorts of explorations on your own at home or yeah you know, things like that i mean it, it's it, it changes a lot of things and it's it's a lot of variables and for me it's more of like appreciating everybody for what they do because how many cool things you know it's like there are things like when i worked with jacqueline that was one of the, my best experiences was she did have that design um, background that formal training and mm-hmm. but I think for somebody who's not necessarily formal trained sometimes it can be a little easier to experiment or think outside the box right. and we had a lot of fun together I didn't feel like she was only giving me things that I didn't know I felt like we were exchanging um, and yeah I wish that I wish that all creatives could do that like in a giant in giant room you know that we could all share all of that stuff because we're bigger together than we are separately. My answer to your question reminds me of a colleague that I went to grad school with. And I was just looking her up right now to see if I remember her name correctly. Her name is Maya Wright. She was amazing um, in the MFA program. I, I feel that she did just loops around all of us that had a design background. She came in as a, I want to say, a French major. Yes, French majors are awesome. I know. She she had something different. And I think that was the first kind of twist for me to say that, wait a second, I don't need to have the path that goes from A to B to C to D to Z. It can zigzag around as long as we're all kind of curious about it. And Maya had such an amazing curiosity. And so I think for me, especially now teaching design, that I tried to remember that my students in the upper level classes are there to be designers, are there to make a career out of it. Mm-hmm. But the 100 level classes, the 200 level classes, those students are there, or even students that are in um, a club or that are doing a project and are trying to make a poster and they come to mm-hmm. ask me that question or so about typeface, about layout or, or what have you. Those are the, the students that probably use design in a much more meaningful way for longer periods because they're curious. I think personally, you know, it's a it's a big combination. It's PLU, it's how I was raised. Um, it's, you know, something about who I am, personality. Um, I think the biggest thing that I would say as far as 
my creativity and my curiosity is because I grew up overseas. Anybody can learn to do as long as they're willing to be open and open to different possibilities, um, different things that they might not have been expecting, uh, you know, you can cultivate that. And I think it is a choice. I think it's not just some feeling that you have. I think it's a choice you make, whether consciously or unconsciously, every time you sit down on your computer, every time you look through Instagram, every time, you know, you interact with other creatives, you can choose to be in the mind space that you're open and interested and curious about, about other things and interested in seeing where they could be taken by you. I have a question for you, JP. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So how do you feel about how in certain elements of the hand lettering community, um, because we're drafting letters and not, you know, using typefaces and things like that, how do you feel about hand lettering breaking some of the typography rules that designers usually use? Oh, you're talking about uh, the, the rigidity of the computer versus the fluidity of the hand. Yeah. Mm. That's an interesting one. So my personal opinion is that it drives me nuts for it to look perfect. I hate when it doesn't, but I kind of like when it does look imperfect. Sure. <laughs> On the professional side, I think that you can't have symmetry in design. There's The human eye is looking to be asymmetrical. The human eye wants things to be just slightly off in order to see that it is part of the natural world. And in that case, what hand lettering provides is an opportunity for us to see the uh, uniqueness that you have from that the hand doing its own thing that you know might not be the correct arm, that might not be the, the correct tangent join. It might be something that's just slightly off, but it makes it more personal. And a lot of times it's funny that as I'm saying this, I'm starting to think aloud, or I'm starting to think about all the comments that I've made to my students over the years. And one of the, the comments that I, I often say is that if you cannot find the right typeface, draw it yourself. Right? Do not give me that brush script typeface. If you're <laughs> looking to do hand lettering, mm -hmm. I tell them, get a pen out and hand letter. Just do it on your own. You know, it, you'll be more satisfied with your own handwriting than you will be with some generic typeface that is trying to harshly mimic what you are trying to do. Now, there's some great typeface fonts that are out there that are you know well worth it and and should be paid for it to to get them. But sometimes I, I I had this one student this past year who just graduated, and two years ago. We were doing this little design retreat and showing portfolios and my students wanted to see what my work looked like so i showed them and then we decided let's let's just do you know like a little round robin around and show showing what you're doing show me. and i started asking that question after they showed the portfolio so what do you want to do with this where do you where are you going to go with this and the person that uh, was her turn great portfolio you know it, it was it was uh, what you would expect for a sophomore. She was moving forward. And so I asked her, what do you want to do with this? And she said, I don't want to do anything with this. I actually want a hand letter. I'm like, so why aren't you doing hand lettering projects? And she's like, I don't know. So I challenged her. I have two blackboards, one in my office and one in my classroom. 
said, I want you to come in every day and I want you to write something. Just get some practice, just do it. You know, It doesn't need to be anything for a project, anything for a class. Put it onto Instagram, just so that way you have an accountability of it and you have documentation. So you can see in a year from now, this is the way I started off. Here is where I am now. That is such a cool, I love hearing stories like that. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it's, it also reminds me of something that I tell, I tell students when I talk to them that even if your work is not perfect, share it anyways. Yes. You know, that's something that I tell people. I say, you think, you tell yourself, oh, well, I'm not where I want to be, so I'm not going to put on Instagram until I'm where I want to be. Share it anyways. Even if you think it sucks, share it. And, you know, one of the things is because you can see that progression, you can see yourself getting better, but other people can see that too. And the same way that our eyes look for asymmetry, I think our our human intellect also looks for humanness and evolution and genuine experience. And so, you know, I have a lot of people who are like, oh, I only want to put something online if it, you know, if it looks perfect. And I say, you're going to get better responses. You're going to get more people interested in you if they see you. Not some perfect, you know, ready to roll off the presses work, but they see you and your evolution and how you're working. And, you know, if I go back to what I know I had in my Etsy shop when that editor found me, I don't think I'd publish any of it today. You know, I look at it and I'm like, wow, that was can't believe I did that. Look, look how bad I was back then. You know? But, but I didn't know that at the time and it wasn't bad at the time because I was at a different part of my evolution. And I think sometimes it's about embracing the part of the evolution that you're in currently and being bold enough to say, or, you know, like me, you might get a book deal. That right there is, is enough of a reason to put yourself out there. I think that's my biggest advice to students that are graduating are, is, is that, just put everything you can out there. I mean, obviously pay attention to quality, make sure that you're doing the best you can, but it's gonna be so much better for you if you have a large body of work to look at and look at the evolution. Mm -hmm. And so many cool opportunities that you can get from that. That's a great line right there. Just put it out there. You need to be, be bold enough. I think that's what I wrote down. Yes, yeah. Be yeah. bold enough. Being bold is really important. Um, I've done a lot of things that were definitely scary at the time for me. I have cold called news editors and emailed national television shows and contacted magazines and done all sorts of things that I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but gosh darn it, I'm just gonna try and see where I get. And you know, one of the things I've I've figured out is that you don't have to know exactly how to do something as long as you're willing to be open and personable and willing to say, you know, okay, I'm just trying this out. I mean, um, one of the gals that I follow religiously is Joy Cho. She has said on her blog, she said, for people who ask, how did you get in with Target? She says, I cold called them. She was just a designer doing work in Southern California. And she, she was like, well, why not? I want to do a Target collection. So she cold called Target headquarters. And, you know, I remember sitting there reading that going, there's got to be something more to it than that. Some formal interview mm -hmm. process or some hoop you have to jump through. And 
you know, a lot of times I think the opportunities we get are completely down to how bold we are. Be bold. Yes. Yeah. In typeface and in person. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're at the, uh, the end of our time with you. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. It was, I was very honored to be asked. This is Design School is recorded in the field where design happens. The intro music for This is Design School is Electronic Nostalgic, composed by Paul Tyen and published under the Creative Commons on SoundCloud. Continue the conversation by contacting us on Twitter. JP tweets at JP Avila. And Chad tweets at Chad P. Hall. You can follow the show at TIDS Podcast. Get more info on the podcast and subscribe to our newsletter by visiting us at thisisdesign.school. Help spread the word by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, and Stitcher. And share us with your designer friends. Bye for now.